Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Hello, Global Investor listeners. Before we start today's show, I want to let you know about Belgrad Homes in Tyler, Texas. They're offering newly constructed 130 square meter, 1400 square foot homes for $145,000. They are offering financing to U.S. and foreign investors for 30 years at 6% interest with a 30% down payment. If you're interested, please contact belgradhomes.com, spelled B-E-O-G-R-A-D homes.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Chris Larson. Chris began syndicating deals in 2016, has raised more than $12 million, and has been actively involved in over $150 million worth of real estate acquisitions. He is the founder and managing partner of Next Level Income, through which he helps investors become financially independent through education and investment opportunities. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Chris. Charles, thanks for the opportunity. Excited to be here. So um, what was your background? You've been involved in a number of different things, fields. So what was your background prior to uh, starting to uh, invest in real estate? Well, I was racing bikes. So I started investing in real estate when I was 21 years old, Charles. Uh, 1999, I was in college. Uh, raced bicycles starting at age 14. And I write about this in my book, which if any of your listeners want to get it, they can check it out at our website, nextlevelincome.com slash book. I'll send them a free copy. Um, but to kind of highlight some of the things, I was racing bicycles. And I don't know, for anybody that knows about the cycling world, they know that it doesn't pay very well, even if you're a professional, even if you're a high level professional, actually. So I, I wanted to race my bike. I wanted to have different options. And I was introduced to the concept of compound interest and investing by the same family friend, Clint Provenza, who introduced me to cycling. So I started my Roth IRA as a freshman in college and started learning about different investments. Ultimately, I started day trading. And while I was in college as a junior, I was making sometimes $5,000 a month day trading. This was in the late 90s. And then uh, some months I was losing that or more. And as I, as I sometimes laid awake at 3 a.m. in the morning thinking, you know, what am I, what am I going to do tomorrow here with my trades? I thought, is this really how I want to spend my life? And, you know, what if these numbers were multiplied by 10 or a hundred times? And I was, instead of 20 years old, I was 40 years old. So I looked at other investing options. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty risk averse by nature. I like to, I tell people I don't bet. I only bet on sure things. And as I started to look into different options, real estate really bubbled up to the top. My parents were uh, small real estate investors. They had a few rental properties. So I kind of knew about the concept. But my stepfather, uh, my father passed away when I was five. My stepfather was a contractor. So he'd do all the work. So that, that really wasn't that appealing to me. But from an investing perspective, it became appealing. So I bought my first property, uh, age 21, bought another property. And um, from then on, built a portfolio. And I did, uh, as, as I mentioned in my book, you know, a bunch of different things, ultimately culminating in the multifamily space in 2013. So I started investing in 2013 in multifamily for my partnership uh, with now my former partner in 2015. And we syndicated our first deal in 2016. Nice. So you primarily syndicate properties. Tell us about your first couple real estate investments that you got involved with, how they, what were they were and how you made money yeah. with them or lost money? Yeah. So I've been fortunate uh, in my real estate career that we've, uh, I think we've made money on every deal 
uh, that we've been in. Now, you know, if you, if you mark those deals during a certain time, um, some, some of those deals haven't been great, but you know, over the, over the lifetime of the deals, um, they've all made money. Our first investments were in single family. So bought a single family rental and what we now call like house hacking. Mm -hmm. I rent, I rented out two of the three bedrooms in the townhouse that I bought in college. And I bought the place next door it was another three bedroom. So it was essentially like I had my own little six bedroom apartment complex and then, um, continued from there. Um, then after our rental portfolio, we started buying uh, distressed debt. So that's probably the space. You know, if you look at our portfolio, we have individual loans that we had on that distressed debt that sometimes we, we got blown out of from a, you know, a creditor uh, order. But as a whole, we made money on that portfolio. And uh, that was a good space to be in kind of coming out of the Great Recession where we were able to buy debt, sometimes nine cents on the dollar. And then you know, it doesn't take a lot to get back to that. Um, what type of properties were those? Those were all single Yeah, so family? those were... Yeah. So those were single family. Okay. So what we were doing, Charles, is we were buying portfolios of seconds, non-performing seconds. And my partner was working those out. Nice. Yeah. So currently with what you guys are focusing on, what are, the, what, is your, what are the markets you guys are targeting and what is your traditional buying criteria? Yeah. So um, you know, the reason I started in the multifamily space was because of the demographic trends. So I'm, I like to follow big trends. I like to follow tidal shifts. I don't, I don't like to day trade anymore and I don't like to bet on, on short-term moves. I like to bet on long-term moves. So the multifamily space, uh, we focus on that because of what I believe are strong trends that are going to continue through this decade, started last decade, going to continue through this decade. I talk about the four trends and those include millennials are renting, baby boomers are renting, immigrants are renting, high income earners are renting. We like to focus on high growth areas of the country. So for us, that's the Southeast. I personally moved from the DC area to North Carolina in 2008 because of the growth trends. So I moved here, moved my family or started my family, moved my career here for those reasons. And today we focus on the Carolinas. We focus on Florida, Georgia, Texas, and all of our uh, properties have been as far as the multifamily space in those areas. We own workforce housing, uh, value-add deals starting in, in the 70s, all the way up to our current acquisition, which is uh, 2014 or 2013, oh. 2014 built, 232-unit uh, complex. Uh, so that would be a class A deal. Yeah. Um, so what we're looking at today, Charles, is uh, light value-add, um, B+, plus, um, sometimes A, depending on, on the market properties that are typically 200 units or more mm -hmm. in, again, those high growth areas typically in the Southeast. So for your, you mentioned the four trends, you've been involved in other different yeah. commercial properties um, yes. in asset classes. What, what is, is it, is it really because somebody has to rent? Is that why you're really focused on multifamily or are you guys interested in any other asset classes currently for syndicating? Uh, 90% of what we do is multifamily. Mm -hmm. So we do have some partnerships in the commercial office space, the mm -hmm. self-storage space, as well as the oil and gas space, which is actually particularly exciting right now with the price of oil plunging. Um, uh, it was below zero if you look at the spot <laughs> price the other day. It's, it's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, folk, so again, I like multifamily as the cornerstone of my portfolio. I'm very transparent with mm -hmm. investors. I say, hey, this is what I do with my money. And 80% of our portfolio is in multifamily. And that is because even if you look at, you know, we're in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis right now, 
people have to live somewhere and they typically are going to pay their rent as one of their first bills, if not their first bill, maybe behind groceries. So it's a very stable asset class. And, you know, drilling down again, why, you know, we kind of target different areas at different points in the cycle. We tend to look at the previous market cycles and look at what, what was strong, what was more stable mm-hmm. during those points. And I think multifamily, you know, I call it the holy grail in my book. I call it the holy grail because personally, I believe the risk-adjusted reward that you get, the risk-adjusted return in multifamily is the most appealing out of any asset class, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. I was talking to people about when we had multifamily in 06 to uh, 2009 and people are like, well, did you have problems? I'm like, no, we just weren't doing, we just weren't doing huge rent increases. You were increasing rent inflation. You know what I mean? If you know what that was at that point, but it was, um, I mean, it was just, you, I never had issues with long-term delinquencies or anything like that. So, and it was, it wasn't a class, it was C class, C plus stuff. So uh, that workforce housing, as you said, that you're looking at sometimes or previously in the seventies, but, um, you've raised over $10 million for your real estate investments. Can you explain a little bit about starting? So a new person starting to raise private capital, what, what they should do or how they would go about that? Yeah. So yeah, we're up, I guess, probably about 15 million, uh, right around now. Um, and yeah, very, very thankful for our group of investors in the trust. So I think, you know, if I was to go back and either give myself advice or, or talk to somebody, like you said, that's, that's looking to raise capital for deals, I think you need to, one, look, look to yourself first. You know, would you be comfortable putting money in those deals? I invest in every deal that we syndicate. So, you know, I can tell investors, listen, I'm putting my own money here. and putting my family's money here. So I think you need to, uh, there's really three things you need to look into. Um, one, you need to look into the operator that you're working with. You know, they, do they have a track record? Do you trust them? Do they understand the space that you're going to invest in with them? Two, we talked a little bit about this, Charles, the market, you know, do, are you comfortable with the market? And then three, are you comfortable with the actual asset, the actual deal size? And you should be able to be very, very comfortable, um, when going into that. Also, if you're going to raise money, I think you need to be able to show an expertise in, in some of that space. You know, I've been, I've been investing for over 20 years in multiple different things. I don't invest in multifamily just be, in the Southeast, just because that's what I do in the Southeast. This was very purpose built. So I think, you know, if you're going out and you're saying, Hey, Charles, this is, you know, this is an opportunity we have. Would you like to invest alongside of us here? You should be very comfortable with the rationale and the operation side, as well as the analysis side of that deal. The flip side is if you're an operating partner in that deal, I think that's, that's very strong too. You know, if you have experience on the operation side, maybe you've managed properties before, maybe you have a construction background. Like one of my partners uh, on the operation side has an underwriting on the insurance side Mm -hmm. background and he owned a construction company. So, you know, when I take Brandon into a property and walk through it, you know, he's very comfortable uh, working with the contractors. He's very comfortable looking and knowing the cost. He's very comfortable uh, sourcing, you know, different products and, and different uh, pieces for, for the value add component. Um, so, you know, pick, pick what you're good at, pick what you understand, um, focus on what you can add value for your potential investors in that space. Uh, and then again, I'd say, you know, my advice is put, put your money where your mouth is. And, you know, if, if, if you're talking to somebody that is bringing you a deal, I would ask those same questions to them as well. 
Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's very important to pick when you're building your team to find out exactly what your specialty is and then have people round out the rest of your team with uh, stuff that maybe you don't like or you're not good at, which kind of go hand in hand. But um, yeah. when I speak to the passive investors, one of the first things I hear about stuff that they don't like about investments they have or operators they work with is the lack of communication. W- what do you see for your investors? I imagine some of them have invested with other operators as well. What do you see as stuff that they didn't care so much for or issues they had with, um, with previous investments? That, that's a great point. And I think it's very, uh, very appropriate to ask that question now during, during times of great uncertainty, Charles. So uh, I, was, uh, I was on an interview yesterday and um, we were talking about like what we are doing now that's a little different. Mm-hmm. And my answer was we're over communicating. So mm-hmm. you know, w- what we say at Next Level Income is we put investors first through education. That's our first thing. And communication is a big part of education especially if you're talking about current deals. So we, we have a monthly update that goes out, whether we're doing monthly distributions or quarterly distributions, we have a monthly update that goes out. What we've done during this period is we've actually increased that to a weekly update for investors. Hopefully investors appreciate that. I think once a week is, is an appropriate level of communication. We're not bombarding you know, our investors with, with a ton of irrelevant data. We try to be very to the point and do that. And we, we probably should have brought this up when we were talking about what advice do you have? I think, you know, the important thing that you can do is, is communicate to investors, tell them where we are in the market, tell them what's going on, especially if they have their money with you. You want to let them know whether it's good news or bad, what's going on? Because the worst news, I, I say it's akin to being in a dark cave without a flashlight. Mm-hmm. You know, the fear of the unknown is, is what creates anxiety. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, keeping in touch with people that have invested through you. And then also in this time as well, it's keeping in touch with people that you owe money to in the sense of like, we've been in on open lines of communication, which I imagine you have as well with lenders and just letting Absolutely. them know, hey, you know, our collections are this, everything's fine at this point, everything's going well. And just let them know that, you know, you just don't want to be, hey, you haven't paid, <laughs> you don't want that call saying, hey, are you paying the mortgage or what's going on or anything like that. So it's, it's open lines of communication, I think, on both sides. No, that's, that's a, another great point. And you know, what I did, uh, you know, for we have a property here in Asheville downtown. We have seven units in that property. It's a commercial property. Four, four of those units, the businesses in them, were shut down by the health department. The week before that happened, I went to them and I said, hey, how, how are things going with your business? Are you affected yet? Um, you know, things at that point were going, were going reasonably well, but everybody kind of knew what was happening. Things were starting to slow down. People were canceling appointments like in a hair salon, for instance. And I said, look, keep me in the loop. Let's work together through this. I, you know, I didn't make any promises. Uh, but when, when, when the health department shut them down, I had already contacted my bank and just like you, you know, I was able to work out a solution with my tenants in the bank that helped everybody. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle. So this is, this is a challenging time for landlords and property owners mm-hmm. uh, and operators, but we worked out something that's manageable for everybody. So I think there's a good example of that in practice. Yeah. So for what, what kind of examples of common mistakes you see from real estate investors, whether they're new or whether they're seasoned of some sort? What do you, what do you think? Yeah. So, um, you know, kind of not following the advice that I was talking about before, not like properly evaluating those risks. I think, you know, new investors, they kind of look and say, Hey, what, you know, what does this deal look like? But I always tell investors, you know, they call me, they say, Hey, walk me through this deal. 
I say, well, let's take a step back and talk about why we're in this market, why we're in this space and, and why right now it's, it's, a, it's what I feel to be a good time to be in that before we look at the deal. So I always kind of train investors to walk through that process themselves. Uh, when it comes to the operation side, I think you know, this is a great time. If, if we think about who is going to be getting in trouble during this period, there's, there's three rules that I think are good to follow if you're an owner and operator. You know, one, when you buy a property, buy cash flow properties. If you have a cash flow property today, I had cash flow properties um, as you did, you know, going through 08, 09. I didn't make a tremendous amount of money during that time on the properties that I owned prior to the crash, but I didn't lose any money. And they all cash flowed positive through that. Um, and, you know, that's kind of brings to the second point, which is, you know, have long term debt. So, you know, if you have long term financing that's stable, so if you had if you had to sell or refinance a property today, that may be a problem for you, especially if you have a hotel or a retail space. It, it may be a challenge for you. If you have debt that's going to hold through a period that that you you foresee um, your value add process or your operations going through, then you can ride out these periods and not be a forced seller. You know, we always like to say, we don't like to be a forced seller. We like to be opportunistic on the buying as well as the selling side. And that brings me to the third point, which is have adequate reserves. So all our properties have, you know, seven figures of reserves for the most part, you know, six to 12 months is good. You know, it's like I write about, I have a little short part in my book and, you know, I don't, I don't go a ton into personal finance, but I think it's great to have, you know, an emergency fund if you're an individual and, you know, three, six, 12 months, I personally like to have, you know, a year's worth of expenses set aside as an individual. I think it's great to have six to 12 months set aside. So, you know, those, those are where I see the mistakes, you know, people, you know, kind of blindly following the near term trends, not realizing that real estate goes through cycles, um, not having the appropriate debt, not having appropriate reserves into a space or, you know, betting heavy on, you know, a speculative construction deal or something like that, um, that, that might not go bad. Those are might, might not go well. Uh, those are some of the things that I've, I've, I saw people really get blown out on 10 years ago. Um, and I imagine are going to, people that are doing that are going to face some pain today. Yeah. I think the reserves is a huge thing. That's not, um, mm -hmm. obviously it's going to be tightening up more, especially with all the agency debt, Fannie and Freddie. Yeah. But, um, I mean, right now, I think in the next six months, you're going to see people over this whole year who's not, doesn't have the reserves or it's going to come out. And, um, yeah. Because before you didn't need that much and now it might be double, it might be triple, right? I mean, they're saying even 18 right. months of mortgage and interest. So it's, um, I mean, that's quite the amount of additional money you have to raise, but it's also the amount of security mm -hmm. for your investors. You're not going to be calling them back and saying, hey, we, you know, capital call, we need more money. You know, it's not operating how we thought. So. But. Yeah, and I've had, I've had, a cap, I've had capital calls uh, and deals I've been invested in and mm -hmm. that's, you know, when you have a property or a deal that's not going particularly well, and again, that's a, that's an example of a deal that we made money on, but there were periods that didn't go well. So, you know, when, when you have a deal that's not going great and then the operator calls you and says, Hey, Hey, Chris, can you send us a check so that we can keep this deal going? You know, in some ways you think, man, I'm throwing good money after bad. Um, it's, it'd be a lot more comfortable to have those returns scaled back a little bit and, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather look at a deal and say, Hey, what if these returns were a third lower 
you know, but I'm not going to get a capital call. I'd be more comfortable with that mm-hmm. deal than a deal that really stretches and says, Hey, we're going to, you know, show you exceptional returns, but you know, everything has to go perfectly. Yeah. For some of the passive investments that I'm involved with, um, some of the operators have come back and they've said, well, you know, we're just going to hold off on sending out the prep stuff, which I'm totally fine with. I'd rather hold yeah. off, weather the storm, have more money than less, make sure everything gets paid, everything's done, everything's rented. Um, and then start at that point, once we're coming up on the upswing of this to, you know, to start sending out prefs, if there's additional return that was from before, that's great. If not, then it's just what it is. You'll pick it up when you sell the property or refinance. Exactly. So, well, it's great. Um, how can our listeners get in touch with you and uh, learn more about you and your company? Yeah. So easiest way is to go to our website, charlesnextlevelincome.com. I'm doing a free book giveaway right now during during the COVID crisis. So all you got to do is go to our website, nextlevelincome.com, click on the book link. You can get a free uh, ebook right away. Or if you put your address in, I'll send you a copy. Um, you can click around there, follow me on LinkedIn, social media. I try to put educational material up every day uh, on our website. And again, you can also check out our podcast. Yep. Um, I really appreciate what you're doing for your listeners here. Uh, we love educating individuals on financial uh, matters and, and helping them on their way to financial education. And what you're doing is a big piece of that, Charles. So I really appreciate having me on. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And looking forward to connecting with you in the near future. Have a great day. Likewise. Thank you so thank much. You. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit GlobalInvestorPodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.